Chapter Two of the Postmaster's Daughter by Lewis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. P. C. Robinson takes a line. It will help me a lot, sir, he said, if you tell me now what you know about this matter. If, as it seems more than likely, murder has been done, I don't want to lose a minute in starting my inquiries. In a case of this sort, I find it best to take a line and stick to it his tone was respectful but firm evidently p c robinson was not one to be trifled with moreover for a sleuth whose maximum achievement hitherto had been the successful prosecution of a poultry thief it was significant that the unconscious irony of a case of this sort should have been lost on him do you really insist on conducting your investigation while the body is lying here demanded grant deliberately turning his back on the girl in the distant cottage not that sir not altogether but i must really ask you to clear up one or two points now for goodness sakes what are they well sir in the first place how did you come to find the body i walked out into the garden after finishing breakfast a few minutes ago and noticed the rope attached to the staple just as you see it now did you walk straight here no not exactly i was er curious about the face i saw or thought i saw last night and looked into the room through the same window by doing so i scared mrs bates who was clearing the table and she screamed her wood too put in bates her take ye for old ben's ghost you shut up bates said the policeman don't interrupt mr grant grant was conscious of an undercurrent of suspicion in the constable's manner he was wroth with the man but recognized that he had to deal with narrow-minded self-importance so contrived again to curb his temper i am not acquainted with old ben or his ghost he said quietly i can only tell you that i went inside to reassure mrs bates and then strolled slowly to this very spot naturally i could not miss the rope in the staple to my mind it was not intended that i or any one else should miss them i regarded them as so peculiar that i shouted for bates he came at once and drew the body out of the water and you recognized the dead woman as the one you saw last night yes at about ten minutes to eleven yes is it likely sir that any other person saw her in these grounds a bit earlier what do you mean well sir i can't put it much plainer could anybody else have seen her here say about ten fifteen grant met the policeman's inquiring glance squarely before he answered it is possible of course he said but most unlikely were you alone here at that hour again grant sought and held that inquisitive gaze held it until robinson affected to consult his notes there was a moment of tense silence then the reply came with an icy stubbornness that was not to be denied i decline absolutely to be cross-examined about my movements if you're unable or unwilling to order the removal of the body i'll telegraph to the chief of police at knowlesworth and ask him to act further i shall request dr foxton to examine the poor woman's injuries it strikes me as a monstrous proceeding that you should attempt to record my evidence at this moment 
and I refuse to become a party to it. Now then, Robinson, stop your Sherlock Holmes work and help me to lift this poor woman onto the stretcher, said Bates gruffly. The policeman's red face grew a shade deeper with annoyance, but he had the sense to avoid a scene. He was not popular in the village, and was well aware that the two rustics pressed into service as stretcher-bearers would joyfully retail the fact that he had been set down a peg or two by Mr. Grant. "'I'll do all that's necessary in that way, sir,' he said stiffly. "'I suppose you have no objection to my asking if you noticed any strange footprints on the ground hereabouts. That was the first thing I looked for, both here and outside the window. The latter, of course, for another reason. I found none. These stones would show no signs. The ground is so dry that even the five men now present leave no traces.' but I remember seeing in the bed of the stream certain marks which, unfortunately, were obliterated when Bates hauled the body ashore. They were valueless, however, shapeless indentions in the mud and sand. Were they wide apart or close together, sir? Quite irregular. No one could judge by the length of the stride whether they were made by the feet of a man or a woman, if that is what you have in mind. But really— Grant's impatient movement was not to be misunderstood. Robinson stooped, removed the rug, and unfastened the rope after noting carefully how it was tied, a point which he called on the others to observe as well. Then he and the villagers went away with their sad burden, the rug being requisitioned once more to hide that wan face from the vivid sunshine. Bates had a trick of grasping a handful of his short whiskers when puzzled he did so now it seemed to be an unconscious effort to pull his jaws apart in order to emit speech i've a sort of idea sir he said slowly that robinson saw doris morton on the lawn with ye last night grant turned on his henchman in a sudden heat of anger miss morton's name must be kept out of this matter he growled but sussex is not easily browbeaten when it thinks itself in the right all very well a saying that, sir, but a doin' if it is a bird of another color, argued Bates firmly. How did you know that Miss Morton was here? Bless your heart, sir, how comes it that us strayin' home folk know everything about other folks' business? Sometimes we know more'n they knows themselves. You've not walked a yard with Doris that the women's tittle-tattle hasn't made it into a mile. No man, even the wisest, likes to be told an unpalatable truth. For a few seconds, Grant was seriously annoyed with this village solon, and nearly blurted out an angry command that he should hold his tongue. Luckily, since Bates was only trying to be helpful, he was content to say sarcastically, "'Of course, if you are so well posted in my movements last night,' You can assure the coroner and the police that I did not strangle some strange woman, tie a rope around her, and throw her in the river. Me and me missus couldn't help seeing you and Doris a-looking at the stars through a spy-glass when us were going to bed, persisted Bates. We heard your voices quite plain. Once ye fixed the glass low down and said, That's serious. It's late to-night. And I tell ye straight, sir, I said to the missus, it will be serious and all, 
if doris's father catches her gallivantin' in our garden wid mr grant nigh on ten o'clock soon after that ye took doris as far as the bridge the window was open and i heard your footsteps on the road you came in closed the window and drew a chair up to the table after that i fell asleep perplexed and anxious though he was grant could hardly fail to see that bates meant well by him the mental effort needed for such a long speech said as much the allusion to sirius amusing at any other time was now most valuable because an astronomical almanac would give the hour at which that brilliant star became visible other considerations yielded at once however to the fear lest robinson and his notebook were already busy at the post office without another word he hurried away by the side path through the evergreens leaving bates staring after him and with more whisker pulling examining the rope and staple which by the policeman's order were not to be disturbed grant reached the high road just as robinson and the men with the stretcher were crossing a stone bridge spanning the river about a hundred yards below the hollies a slight youthful and eminently attractive female figure walking swiftly in the opposite direction came in sight at the same time and grant almost groaned aloud when the newcomers stood stock still and looked at the mournful procession he be it remembered was somewhat of an idealist and a poet it grieved his spirit that those two women the quick and the dead should meet on the bridge he took it as a portent almost a menace he knew not of what he might have foreseen that unhappy eventuality and prevented it but his brain refused to work clearly that morning a terrible and bizarre crime had bemused his faculties he seemed to be in a state of waking nightmare he was stung into impetuous action by seeing the policeman halt and exchange some words with the girl he began to run with the quite definite if equally mad intent of punching robinson into reasonable behavior he was saved from an act of unmitigated folly by the girl herself she caught sight of him apparently broke off her talk with the policeman abruptly and in her turn took to her heels thus on that strip of sun-baked road with its easy gradient to the crown of the bridge there was the curious spectacle offered by two men jogging along with a corpse on a stretcher a young man and a young woman running towards each other and a discomfited representative of the law looking now one way and now the other and evidently undecided whether to go on or return ultimately it would seem robinson went with the stretcher-bearers because grant and the girl saw no more of him for the time grant had received several shocks since rising from the breakfast-table but it was left for doris martin the postmaster's daughter to administer not the least surprising one though almost breathless and wide-eyed with horror her opening words were very much to the point how awful she cried why should any one in strandholm want to kill a great actress like adeline milhush now the name of the dead woman was literally the last thing grant expected to hear from this girl's lips and the astounding fact momentarily banished all other worries you knew her he gasped no not exactly 
but i couldn't avoid recognizing her when she asked for her letters and sent a telegram but oh robinson told me she was dead i see now what is puzzling you it is not quite that i mean why didn't you tell me she was in strandholme has she been staying here any length of time the girl's pretty face crimsoned and then grew pale i had no idea she was a friend of yours mr grant she stammered she used to be a friend but i have not set eyes on her during the past three years until last night last night after you had gone home i was doing some work and having occasion to consult a book lighted a candle and put it in the small window near the bookcase then i fancied i saw a woman's face her face peering in and was so obsessed by the notion that i went outside but everything was so still that i persuaded myself i was mistaken oh is that what it was grant threw out his hands in a gesture that was eloquent of some feeling distinctly akin to despair you don't usually speak in enigmas doris he said what in the world do you mean by saying oh is that what it was the girl she was only nineteen and never before had aught of tragic mystery entered her sheltered life seemed to recover her self-possession with a quickness and decision that were admirable there is no enigma she said calmly my room overlooks your lawn before retiring for the night i went to the window just to have another peep at sirius and its changing lights so i could not help seeing you fling open the french windows stand a little while on the step and go in again ah you saw that then i have one witness who will help to dispel that stupid policeman's notion that i killed miss melhush and hid her body in the river at the foot of the lawn hid it with such care that the first passer-by must find it every human being has three distinct personalities firstly there is the man or woman as he or she really is secondly there is the much superior individual as assessed personally thirdly and perhaps the most important in the general scheme of things there is the same individuality as viewed by others for an instant the somewhat idolized figure which john mince's grant offered to a pretty and intelligent but inexperienced girl was in danger of losing its impressiveness but since grant was not only a good fellow but a gentleman his next thought restored him to the pedestal from which all unknowing he had nearly been dethroned that is a nice thing to say he cried with a short laugh of sheer vexation here am i regarding you as a first-rate witness in my behalf whereas my chief worry is to keep you out of this ugly business altogether forgive me doris never before have i been so bothered honestly i imagined i hadn't an enemy in the world yet someone has tried deliberately to saddle me with suspicion in this affair not that i would give real heed to that consideration if it were not for the unhappy probability that strive as i may your name will crop up in connection with it what sort of fellow is this police constable do you think he would keep his mouth shut if i paid him well grant was certainly far from being in his normal state of mind 
or he would have caught the tender gleam which lighted the girl's eyes when she understood that his concern was for her not for himself as it was several things had escaped him during that brief talk on the sunlit road on her part doris martin was now in full control of her emotions and she undoubtedly took a saner view of a difficult situation robinson is a vain man she said thoughtfully he will not let go the chance of notoriety given him by the murder of a well-known actress was she really murdered robinson said so when i met him on the bridge i'm afraid he is justified in that belief at any rate well mr grant what have we to conceal i was in your garden at a rather late hour i admit but one cannot watch the stars by day and a big telescope with its tripod is not easily carried about of course father will be vexed because as it happens i did not tell him i was coming out but that cannot be helped as it happens i can fix the time you opened your window almost to the minute because the church clock had chimed the quarter just before you appeared grant however was not to be soothed by this matter-of-fact reasoning i am vexed at the mere notion of your name and possibly your portrait appearing in the newspapers he protested miss melhush was such a celebrated actress the press will make a rare commotion about her death look at the obvious questions that will be raised what was she doing here why was she found in the river bordering the grounds of my house don't you see i had to decide pretty quickly whether or not i would admit any previous knowledge of her i suppose i acted rightly why hide anything mr grant surely it is always best to tell the truth he looked into those candid blue eyes and drew from their limpid depths an element of strength and fortitude by jove doris small wonder if a jaded man of the world such as i was when i came to strayenholm found new faith and inspiration in friendship with you he said gratefully but i am wool-gathering all the time this morning it would seem won't you come into the house if we have to discuss a tragedy we may as well sit down to it no she said with the promptitude of one who had anticipated the invitation i must hurry home there are accounts to be made up and robinson and others will be telegraphing to Knowworth and london i must attend to all that because dad gets flustered if several messages are handed in at the same time come and have tea then about four o'clock the ravens will have fled by then the ravens the police you dear child and the reporters and the photographers the flock of weird fowl which gathers from all points of the compass when the press gets hold of what is called a first-rate story by midday i shall be in the thick of it but thank goodness they will know nothing to draw them your way until the inquest takes place and not even then if i can manage it don't mind me mr grant you must not keep anything back on my account i'll try and come at four but i may be very busy in the office by the way you ought to know miss melhush came here on sunday evening she arrived by train from london i happened to notice her as she passed in the hare and hounds bus 
she took a room there at the inn i mean and came to the post office twice yesterday when i heard her name i recognized her at once from her photographs and one more thing i guessed there was something wrong when i saw you and robinson and bates and the other men standing near a body lying close to the river that is why i came out now i really must go good-bye she hastened away grant stood in the road and looked after her apparently she was conscious that he had not stirred because when she reached the bridge she turned and waved a hand to him she was exceedingly graceful in all her movements she wore a simple white linen blouse and short white skirt that morning with brown shoes and stockings which harmonized with the deeper tints of her titan red hair as she paused on the bridge for a second or two silhouetted against the sky she suggested to grant's troubled mind the spirit of summer returning to the house by way of the main gate which gave on to the highway he bethought him of mrs bates and minnie they must be enlightened and warned as to the certain influx of visitors he resolved now to tackle a displeasing task boldly realizing that the worst possible policy lay in denying himself to the representatives of the press who would simply ascertain the facts from other sources and unconsciously adopt a critical vein with regard to himself he determined to go to the other extreme and receive all comers of course there would be reservations in his story that is what every man decides who faces a legal inquiry as a novice it is a decision too often regretted in the light of after events meanwhile p c robinson was hard at work in his own phrase he took a line and the trend of his thoughts was clearly demonstrated when a superintendent motored over from knoleworth in response to a telegram he told how the body had been found and then went into details gathered in the interim miss melhush hadn't been in the village five minutes he said before she asked mr tomlin landlord of the hare and hounds where the hollies was and how long mr grant had lived in the village she went for a walk in the direction of his house almost at once tomlin watched her until she crossed the bridge that was sunday evening superintendent fowler allowed his placid features to show a flicker of surprise in that rural district an actual downright murder was almost unknown even a case of manslaughter arising out of a drunken quarrel between laborers at fair time did not occur once in five years oh she came here on sunday did she he asked yes sir yesterday too she spoke of mr grant to hobbs the butcher and siddle the chemist the two were closeted in the sitting-room of robinson's cottage which was situated on the main road near the bridge it faced the short steep hill overhanging the river a triangular strip of turf formed the village green and the houses of stranholme clustered around this and a side road climbing the hill from door and windows nearly every shop and residence in the village proper could be seen in front of the hare and hounds had gathered a group of men and it was easy to guess the topic they were discussing the superintendent who did not know any of them had no difficulty in identifying hobbs 
who looked a butcher and was dressed like one, or Tomlin, who was either born an innkeeper or had been coached in the part by a stage expert. A thin, sharp-looking person, pallid and black-haired, wearing a morning coat and striped trousers, must surely be Siddle, while a fourth, the youngest there, and of rather sporting guise, was apparently a farmer of a horse-breeding turn. "'Who is that fellow in the leggings?' inquired the superintendent irreverently. He was looking through the window, and Robinson considered that the question showed a lack of interest in his statement, though he dared not hint at such a thing. "'He's a Mr. Elkin, sir,' he said. "'As I was saying, how does Mr. Elkin make a living?' broke in the other. "'He breeds hacks and polo ponies,' said Robinson rather shortly. "'Ah, uh, I thought so. Well, go on with your story.' robinson was irritated and justly so his superior had put him off his line he took it up again sharply leaving out of court for the moment the various reels of evidence which in his opinion united into a swift moving stream the fact is sir he blurted out there is an uncommonly strong case against mr john mince's grant phew whistled the superintendent i think you'll agree with me sir when you hear what i've gathered about him one way and another robinson was sure of his audience now quite unconsciously he had applied the chief canon of realism in art he had conveyed his effort by one striking note the rest of the picture was quite subsidiary to the bold splurge of color evoked by actually naming the man he suspected of murdering adeline Melhush. End of chapter 2